0: Right. Welcome to Prop Talk. Um this is episode four hundred and twenty seven. Is that right, Mike? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Sounds like
1: a, you pulled a number right out of your butt. But <laughs> you
0: never know. You know, Mike keeps saying, hey, don't don't ideas what we time frame we're in, so whatever, you know. Just, yeah. Just know.
2: So that means this one will come out uh four yeah. years from now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Um so yes, yeah, so I'm Chris Call, as usual, here with uh, Mikey Trudeau. Um, as usual as well and today we start a new series uh, on prop houses because of course you know we're prop people and we all go to prop houses and uh, none better for me than to have uh, Greg Bilson Jr. in the house. Hey Greg how are you?
1: I'm good thanks for having me.
0: Yes well I mean come on I have to say I mean ISS Independent Studio Services every prop person in the world knows about ISS Mm-hmm.
1: We have been fortunate and uh, most people we uh, work with in some capacity, and I, I hope to never take that for granted. Yes, yeah. and you never do. And that's
0: the beautiful thing. Um, I you know again, I have to say personally, you know, I, I know I've known Greg for almost probably 30 years now or something like that um, when I was in Pittsburgh. Um, again, being a young prop master coming up in Pittsburgh, had no idea to, where to get anything outside of you know going to an antique store or whatever, and uh, my experience with uh, calling ISS was fantastic. As I'm sure a lot of people around the country in other markets as well as LA have experienced, full on, you know, always there for you. And,
1: is, ISS is pre Google and pre Amazon, yeah, <laughs> very different.
0: Yeah, so let's let's jump straight in. So, you know, give me the what's the origin story of ISS? I mean, I know it from. Uh, the shop on, um, what, what was it? Uh, Wix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. it, it goes back quite a bit uh, before that. Uh, actually, 1977, uh, as the story goes, my father, who was also a property master, I know nepotism in this business. Shocking, right? Never. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he was a property master doing shows, um, and he had a very bad experience with what is one of our now competitors. Mm-hmm. And he basically kind of said, you know, F you, I'm never going to do business with you, and I'm going to do my own thing. Right. Which is usually just a hothead usually blowing off some steam and they come back next week because they need stuff. Right. Um, but he was also a very stubborn man, so he started in his garage in Culver City in 77 servicing his own shows that he was a prop master for. Okay. He brought in a bunch of his buddies... Um, their inventory, that was originally called the Gold Room. And if, oh. as property masters know, you know our oh, Gold cool. Room is where we'd keep all yeah. our cool stuff stashed. Never knew that. That's cool. Yeah, so they kind of begged, borrowed, and stole each other's stuff, put it in a little warehouse over in Culver City. Um, and they just started using it that way. And it grew really rapidly because, unlike some of our other competitors, it was done with a prop master's perspective in mind. Um, my right. dad was servicing clients that were just like him, that had similar needs to what his needs were. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't running it from a, uh, a profit point perspective or a business perspective. It's like, if I'm a prop master and I need something, how would I want it done? Right. And that's the way he set it up. And it really resonated with a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, trust right. me, we were, the, uh, we were the little guy across the, in the valley that nobody would go to right. uh, for many years. So it took a while before it really took. Right. To so,
0: what were the, the other prop houses? There was Ellis at the time, right? Yeah,
1: Ellis Mercantile.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and that started, that, it, their origins are even crazier because we almost bought them at one point back in the 90s. Um, and they started as a, a pawn shop uh, back in 1907. Hmm. So, wow. people would go to the pawn shop. And beg, borrow, and steal other people's stuff to use in a show, and then bring it back. <laughs> oh wow. wow! So I thought that was kind of a cool business model as well, especially since it goes back well over hundred years now.
3: Yeah,
0: wow. and now, like all the uh, studio warehouses, prop houses,
1: those were those always traditionally set dressing mainly. Or the bottom line is, larger things are easier to control and to manage. Uh, hand props and small things are so much more specific. Potentially, so much more specific, Um, and also um, have to function. Uh, It's it's a real gold watch. It's a real computer. It's a real phone. Yeah. Um, It's just studios are set up to do bulk and large things like couches and tables and chairs. We're just a different beast. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting.
0: So, so from Culver City, then when did the Wicks? Well, it's funny,
1: the Wicks thing, we were in a little hangar in Burbank, by Burbank Airport, when it was still kind of out in the weeds, and uh, my dad took myself and my brother to this uh, giant concrete tilt-up building, 21,000 square feet in Sunland, and uh, the roof wasn't even on it yet, the floors were still dirt, but all of the concrete walls were up, and we walked into this place, and honestly, my brother and I thought my dad had gone crazy because this was like the biggest building we'd ever been into yeah <laughs> right, right. it was like the Coliseum and we're like dad you're crazy you're never gonna fill this place it's just it's it's a great idea but wow you're just over over the top um, long story short in a span of under two years we outgrew that facility and we had to get another facility his, <laughs> his original concept in that building was also kind of unique kind of an ass backwards studio he had in that building a transportation department, a drapery department, wow. a fixtures department, a special effects department. And inside of one year, we had to ask all of those other entities, including the grip company, um, to leave because we needed room for the props. It was wow. growing that fast. I see. Yeah. So it was like
2: shared with different companies kind of though? Yeah,
1: it was like the back lot support services all under one roof. Oh, interesting. I see. Yeah.
2: And that was, was that mainly to start out to help with the bills and stuff oh, yeah, like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of the thing with a big building like this is that was expensive. Oh, yeah. i yeah. Mean, <laughs> I'm sure. you, you go from your garage to where you're not paying anything. The moment you become legit brick and mortar, right. uh, costs go up exponentially. And having a building, then you have insurance, and then you have employees. Right. And it's like, it goes up fast. Yeah. So he got to share the cost with all these other entities. Uh, and it was a pretty smart move in, in how to start off small. Right. Right
2: but then it grew big. How long did it take before it started? Like how, how long from start point to that until you had to start to like go independent? So to well, say.
1: that's where I kind of come into the mix is that it was very much done with my my dad's buddies and right. some guy he met at the bar and all of a sudden right. he would show up and I he's your new stock manager. It's like, <laughs> well, he's just your bar buddy. He's a bar fly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it started really growing in the... 90s, and it was growing so fast. My dad was a very uh, excitable person and a big personality, and he would butt heads with the management. They never did it right. Right. So they were having a lot of growing pain. So I think one day he came in and kind of lost it with one of the managers and basically said, You're out of here. And then I think I got a phone call the next day. At the time, I was doing. What was I doing? I was doing NYPD Blue as the property master. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I was kind of actually bored doing shows because it was just one show at a time. And as you know, you both have done shows. Once you get a series kind of set up, um yeah. without a few exceptions you know it kind of runs itself yeah, it's like you right. kind of get into this real routine right. um so anyways he said hey what do you think about coming in here and uh in running things at ISS and i never really thought about it and i said sure like the timing's good um i'll give it a try i'll give it a try for a year i'm going to keep all my equipment and if it doesn't right. work out i'll go back to propping shows right but i stepped into a, a mess um and I, I just—that was thirty years ago. It's hard to believe that was thirty years ago. I know, right? It flies by. So, um,
0: before that, though,
1: how much, how long had you been doing props and mastering? And well, uh, probably six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was assisting on a, a show called Moonlighting for years. Um, was I left that just as it was like starting to tank and grenade. <laughs> <laughs> Sybil and Bruce had a very uh, uh, interesting, volatile relationship, and the show came to a a real crescendo at the end. But it was one of the best experiences of my life, seeing such a, a big show and all those personalities. Right, you know? I'm sure. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I stepped in to do the pilot of Doogie Hauser MD. Right. And then I went into NYPD Blue, and I think I was season two or season three of NY when I got that call from my dad. I see. Yeah. Wow. So, but but the, once again, the, the cool perspective is that ISS then, ISS now, and hopefully forever, um, somebody will have their fingers on the pulse of what we do based on what happens on a film set today. Right. You know, we're, right. ne- we're never going to have an accountant run things for ISS. No, n- no offense to my, my lovely accountant friends, right. but it's just a different perspective. Prop people are kind of unicorns. They're different. Uh, we're sort of we're seeing all different kinds of shows, all different kind of genres, and it's not just a cookie cutter kind of company. Right. And that's why you're always going out in the field, even to this day, right? Yeah. I went out on a show a few years back with a friend, with uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh, because they were shooting on this newfangled digital thing called the Red Camera. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: <laughs>
1: and I had heard how like crazy fast he was and how different it was on a film set. And it made me realize when you send an order out, You don't have time for a big setup for take two, take three, take four. You better have everything ready. You better be really fast. And I think you guys can attest the additional time for setup and adjusting is just not there. Back in the old days, you'd set up on a film set. They could take two, three, four hours to finesse lighting a scene. Right. Now it's like 15, 20 minutes and you're going. Yeah, especially in television, Yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah, so it's it's good to know how things change and evolve, so you can then adjust your your business model and the way you do props. Right. So, do you think that your dad?
0: It seems like he it was just like by default, and it was something that he was filling a void, and and it was something that he that the industry needed, that prop people needed. But as far as like expanding, did he? Do you think that he ever had any intentions of like
1: it becoming more than just a prop house? Um, no, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, right. I don't think either one of us had this, <coughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either one of us had this master plan for, you know, global prop domination. (laughs) Um, But it it just kind of worked out that way. And I I compare myself to a really fortunate jockey that's been put on a, a really badass horse. Right. And I've just been going for a crazy ride. There's been no master plan. You know, on a film set, you show up in the morning and you adjust to all the variables that weren't, there initially, but right. you're having to adjust to it. Running a business is the same way. You show up on a Monday, you think you were going to do all this per the plan, but something changed. So you right. have to adjust to it. Right. And sometimes you make really good choices and sometimes you make a mistake and you have to fall back and refigure it.
0: Right. So... And that would include, like, getting into graphics and manufacturing. Well, yeah, and I mean, that was
1: also based largely on what our competition was doing. Um, you're constantly having to see, we're doing this, our competition's doing that, we don't have graphics, we don't have manufacturing, we didn't have these other components, so as time goes on, you start adding these other elements, just organically, as it kind of is sure. needed, and then those elements grow bigger, I... The be I did a little corporate sniping, you know. Right. I went to some of my previous uh, haunts, uh, you know, places like Han Prop Room and Ellis Mercantile, and people I was doing business with. I kind of lured them away and said, "Would you like to come in with me and start up this new entity?" Right. Um, and they came in and we started it just ground up. It was kind of fun.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember. I mean, again. Been around since the beginning of it and watching it expand has been fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's you've been on great shows. You've right. been on bad shows. Right. When you're on a great show with a great crew, it's an amazing collaboration. Right. So one thing I've always worked on is to surround myself with good people, people that are far better than I am at doing a lot of these things, and I try to stay out of their way. Right. You know, if I need to usher certain things in certain directions when I feel it's necessary, I'll do that. But I'm very hands-off. Right. Let, let the people that know what they're doing do what they do. Yeah. What do you look for when you're bringing somebody on? Oh, gosh. Just a, a really capable person. The two things that we really require in our industry, and I think you know this on just finding good set people, is common sense and a work ethic. Right. Yeah. If you possess those two things, everything else we can teach you. Because right. nobody's going to come in off the street and know what it is we do, sure. all the different time frames, the different centuries we work in, the creative aspect. You know prop masters. You can deal with 100 prop masters, and you have 100 vastly different personalities, different right. approaches to the same job. And you have to adjust the way you do your business to cater to all those different eccentric people.
0: right but there does seem to be a common denominator we've been learning this doing these podcasts Oh please you tell know. me I want to know what the secret is I don't know what it is it's it's just, it's DNA it's something yeah. about the all of managers that have that that desire to um to get it right into uh, to I don't know Mikey I mean can you describe it I mean it's it's crazy it's like every single person that's been behind this mic they've all had the same thing It's just like you know, there's just this DNA That you have to have to want to do
2: this job. Yeah, there's a weird drive, but there's, I think what goes into it, it's like, uh, like, nobody is, wants to work 12 to 14 hours every day. <laughs> what? We don't? <laughs> Unless you're doing something that you, you truly have, like, I don't know, a madness and a crazy yeah. passion behind a little bit. <laughs> well,
0: that's just it. You know, it, it, it's it's filling that void. It's, it's you know, seeing a situation that needs to be fixed or needs, needs to be handled, you know? So, yeah,
1: we, we're, we're fixers. We are the ultimate fixer because right. we're given problems 24 seven and we have to come up with the best way of solving those problems. We're much of us or many of us are Control enthusiast, yes.
2: OCD, in other words, maybe <laughs> a little. Maybe <bit. laughs>
1: I don't want to see a, a crazy because I don't want to you know, liken myself to the guy in the bell tower with a high power rifle. But <laughs> but we certainly like doing things a certain way. Uh, you have to be very flexible and you have to be able to pivot very quickly. Right. When when that director comes to you and say, Hey, I would like the blah blah blah, and you give him that look, you smile, say right away, we're going to get it. And as you're walking away, you're thinking, Oh my God, how am I going to come up with this? Right. I'm in the middle of nowhere, screwed, right. and it's 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. What am I going to do? Right. But when but, you solve that problem, yes. and you make everybody happy, there's a high that comes with that that is yeah. unlike anything I can describe to somebody. That's the DNA I'm talking about. <laughs> right, right there. You know? That,
0: that <laughs> desire to please. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's yeah. like world abuse children or something. we
1: would none of us would do well in a, a corporate cubicle environment let's be honest
0: well if we did we probably wouldn't survive because they'd get rid of us because <laughs> we were trying to reinvent the wheel
2: so that would be There's my some... biggest fear switching to a prop house though so tell me how that differs then from that becoming a desk job because a lot of that is a desk job isn't
1: it it, it, it is but it isn't. I also was very fortunate to work with a really good producer who's no longer with us, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Um I learned a lot from Stephen in the sense of surrounding yourself with good people right, and enjoying what you do every day and doing it to the best of your ability. Every single day you show up. Yes. Um, I'm also in a really weird position to where most of our clients are... Also, my friends. Yeah, um, right. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not just letting a client down; I'm letting a friend down. So I approach everything that way. I want them to succeed at a very high level because their success is my success. Yeah. Yes. Um. So it's got. It, I don't see it as a desk job at all. Yeah. I see it as like. Uh, I'm a therapist, I'm a politician, I'm a principal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and an innovator, okay? Because, again, I think that that's where that DNA, that property master DNA comes into play again. Because, again, in any other business, you could just open the doors and serve and fulfill a need, okay, and just coast. But you're not a coaster. You're always looking for what's the best, what's the next place that you could expand to in service and and where's the, you know, what's missing here? How how can you fill that? I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that's the success of ISS is that you're constantly looking at how to do it better.
1: Well, I can't refer to Mikey because he's one of the younger guys now, but Chris and I are some of the older guys on the block now. <laughs> yeah. And when we started, it really was a very small, little cottage industry. Mm. And now what it's become is a multinational, trillion-dollar industry that everybody knows something about. So it's grown tremendously. Um Innovation and keeping up with that just once again seem like a natural evolution. If we're going to service this industry, right. this industry is now global, you have to be in all these places. And each time you step into another arena, you pick up something from that arena. You know, on right. NYPD Blue, I did things in New York. Well, New York does things differently than they do in California. And London does things differently than they do in New York and they do in California. So every time you step into a, another pond, there's a whole nother group of challenges and uh, things that you have to wrap your head around, even something like employees, different rates, just it's right. I, the business aspect of it, I think, is what draws me to it now, more so even than the propping side. Sure. Where I got a little bit bored on the propping side, right. But I've been able to marry the prop aspect of things with the business aspect. Right. And the two combined is like, wow, it's really set up for the chronically ADHD which I also have found is another <laughs> common link. Um, we all like the acronyms and the, the different labels for what what our problems are. Right. But, um, I think the ADHD type people, we never get a chance to get bored with something because we've moved on to the next day, right. another project, a different genre, different time period. Sure. It, you never get a chance to get bored. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. So, And over a 20-year career, you do so many different projects. And now with ISS in, geez, what? 13 states, four different countries. Um, we're doing four five what countries. Of- yeah. <laughs> you're you're in UK, right? We're in the US, the UK, Canada and Budapest. You're in Budapest Ooh, now. Nice. Yes. Yeah. What
2: you, now, when you have these yeah when you say you have're in different countries, like what's your setups there? like like how is that?
1: Right. well, let's be clear, ISS in in Los Angeles is our mothership, it's of course. Amazon. I don't think any of the other entities will ever grow to that size. That's the OG right. um, london is is going to get big. We're expanding it right now. Budapest is the newest uh, entity we have, but it's just like ISS. It's, it's props, it's guns, it, it's expendables, it's personnel that can go out on film sets. Um, we're expanding our manufacturing capabilities in the UK as well as Budapest right now. Mm. Um, the, the second largest aspect of any of the ISS companies would probably be Atlanta, Georgia because oh, okay. they have a physical armory, uh, actual inventory, employees, manufacturing capabilities. Wow. and that's, there's,
2: there's an actual
1: running prop house pretty much. Yeah, right, it's it's your... a brick and mortar. It's not just a, exactly. a, a, a hub. A, a hub a, like or a like pass-through. Right. You know, we know that production uh, is all over the world now, and a lot of times production is in a particular region because that city-state give uh, an incentive back to production company. So part of the incentives are tied in with companies that have, of brick and mortar so when they do business with these local entities they can get the full experience of the tax incentive right so we've also kind of pioneered that and worked on that early on. Uh, when runaway production was taking place, sure, it was, it was going to Canada. <laughs> yeah, if yes. we can all remember that. So. Yes, I have the bumper sticker on my truck still. That's right. There were a few political. And now I feel bad about it, but I, I do have. The, the it got, actually the got work bumper fun, sticker. It yeah. actually kept me from buying a company in Canada because I didn't want to be seen as a turncoat and and in yeah. politically rallying. To keep business here in California and then jumping ship and opening up something in Vancouver. Right. But now, that being said, now, of course, we're in Vancouver and Toronto.
0: Well, you know, can't stop progress. Right. Right. And as long as we all can work and there's enough, and again, there's enough content out there now that we can all work. I mean, yeah. Because the industry's blown up with, with, digital
1: it is and also part of the prop masters guild its its origin was to connect all of these moving parts right in all these amazing crafts people that are doing similar jobs in all these different regions right and together if we're all in communication it's a better industry
0: right if and, we're, yeah and I, I should also mention that since i didn't at the beginning that greg He's also one of the founding four members of the Property Master Guild, <laughs> yeah. which we could not have done any of
1: it without Greg. Well, you know what? It's like with anything that's a success, it's generally a great collaboration. Yes. And uh, I've had 38 years, 40 years of being able to surround myself with really cool people, and right. I get to call it work.
0: Yeah, and you, you do a really good job also of staying connected with the studios and even with um the government uh, you know the 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 state and representatives and you you you're, you're very talented like that well i don't know <laughs> I about that say.
1: but uh like like i said it's i enjoy it i don't really think about it too much or question it too much i just show up each day and adjust to what's being given and, and let's be honest this last year we had for everybody 2023 was kind of a bitch it's yeah. probably one of the toughest years I've had in thirty plus years at ISS.
0: Yeah, well I wanted to yeah. ask you about that too. And I know we, you know, we don't we try not to uh, you know, again p- place ourselves in a period of time on this show, but I do think that we should at least talk a little bit about the strike that we all just went through and how it's, you know, it's affected a lot of people, a lot of people that we know very well. Um, you know, property masters and otherwise. Um and I know that Again, going to ISS and seeing the halls deserted—it's just it's crazy. Un- <laughs> it's unusual, you know. And uh, I and mean, God bless you guys because you know you kept people on as much as you could. The place is pristine; it's like brand new now. I can't even find Sherry anymore. <laughs> you know, I have to leave breadcrumbs to <laughs> find where she is. You know, so um, but. Uh, Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? What that's been like?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in one sense, the timing was kind of brutal because we had just initiated a very significant expansion of SAT, which is our manufacturing division, and then expanding into the space that sat used to exist in with both rentals as well as graphics and all this of course ho- happened right at the beginning of what we we're all hoping would be a-, a strike that lasted 10 or 12 days right. well <laughs> that didn't happen uh, that strike lasted you know in excess of six months for some people and to make it even More difficult is the months leading up until the strike. Unlike other time periods, it was a tremendous slowdown before that happened. 100%. So there's a lot of our brothers and sisters that were not working for a full year. You're looking at one. Yeah, I know. You look a little thinner, I gotta be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we take turns eating. Um,
1: (laughs) But it's brutal. And this was even more brutal, believe it or not, than COVID. Yes, Because when COVID took place... There were government entities, yes. state and federal, sending us money to stay home and be safe. 100%. During this strike, there was nobody sending us any checks. No. <laughs> no, no. I, and again, I
0: just can't overstate how devastating it's been for a lot of us. And we, again, we're all very stoic people in the film industry, so we always t- try to keep a chin up. But, you know, I, I just have to acknowledge that there are a lot of people to this day,
1: to this very day, that are suffering out there a lot. And, okay, and, and it's we're not, not out. not over yet. yet. No, it it's, still it's still going. going. It's <laughs> okay. been an inc- incredibly slow roll back. Yes. And unfortunately, we're linked to Hollywood, and we don't all roll up in Rolls Royces, and we don't fly private. Right. We're, we're regular middle class people that get a check yeah. each Thursday, and and it's tight. And yeah. being off work, how many people can say they went without a paycheck for six, seven, eight, ten 10 months and are still able to be alive? Yeah, exactly. That's I had, my point. I had friends that were hiding their cars so they wouldn't be repossessed. Yes. That's and a real thing.
0: 100%. And again, this is not like an industry where you could just roll into something else. No. Okay, you know, I mean, people are kept talking about well you should have a side gig it's like first of all if you're actually in this
2: fit industry for real you don't have time for a side gig <laughs> i knew some people that went and applied at trader joe's and they're like they didn't, they didn't hire me because i'm not qualified
1: <laughs> <laughs> or they know what you're up to you know because yeah. i i know some of the top people in our business in our craft that applied at home depot mm-hmm. and at lowe's because right we're not used to sitting idle. No. We are used to solving problems 24-7. Nah, but, I
2: have to do something. I yeah, can't same not here. do anything. I can't yeah. tell
1: you how... I furloughed myself and my wife during this strike, so I also was off for four and a half, almost five months. Right. Um, that's a long time to organize your garage and do yeah. all those little things.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm, I've become a master of driving my wife crazy. She's,
1: <laughs> she's definitely ready for me to go back to...
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's,
1: it's been crazy. I, I know we don't want to, but I, I'm hoping... That 2024 and moving forward that our business gets back to being completely batshit crazy in all corners of the world because that's better for everybody
0: and i know you and i talked about this but do you think that that's what's going to happen i mean i mean because there was a shift already happening with the streaming services where they had realized that they were over producing too much content they weren't getting enough for their buck So do you think that that's going to also, I mean, and they canceled a lot of contracts.
1: Yeah, they did. Along the way. And production now is done literally in every country, in every corner of the world. So it's not just LA and New York as being the two hubs. Um, It's also very different when we would do a one-hour episode or episodic season. NYPD Blue, for example, we would do 22, 23, sometimes 24 episodes. Right. I was working for 10 and a half months... Seventy-five to eighty-five five hours a week. So those four to six weeks you had in between, you were in recovery. Yeah, that was yeah. your hiatus, that
0: was your hiatus, your vacation. everything. But now with right.
1: streaming, they're doing six, yes. eight, ten episodes. Right. It's much shorter. Um, so you've got to find several of them in a season to right. keep going. The continuity is very different. The quality is very different. Um, it, we're definitely at a, at a at a crossroads. Will it ever be like what it once was? I don't know. I'm be perfectly honest. I'm kind of glad I'm the old guy with one foot <laughs> out the door. Right. Um. But like with all the other changes, um, the youngins will come in and they'll evolve and they'll adapt and it will still get done at a very high level.
3: Right.
0: Right. And, and again, I think, like you said, I mean, there are a lot of. Productions in other countries, where it's become Los Angeles and L.A. are like the expensive places to shoot. So you know, there's that. But at the same time, I see them building stages everywhere. Still, I mean, Universal just put what eight stages or six?
1: Oh yeah, the the company that ended up buying us uh, Manhattan Beach Studios MBS, they have um, dozens and dozens and dozens of stages under construction right now in four different countries.
0: Right. But also in Los Angeles, right? In Los Angeles as well. Right. Because um, it's my understanding that the Warner backlot that they just leveled, they're going to put stages on. Yes, they are. Yeah. So they must know something. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I mean, there is the need for content. Right. Even during this strike, I think we realize, certainly... During COVID, we realized we ripped through all the content there was. I yeah. saw things I never thought I yeah. would have watched. I saw everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think,
0: I think America has run out of talent. Yeah. Just, I can't watch another America's Got Talent <laughs> spinoff.
1: And the other <laughs> <laughs> thing.
2: an America's Got Talent guy?
0: <laughs> no, I, can't. I mean, it's yeah. every night. Yeah. Well,
1: there was a big rush to, to just produce content. Uh, right. It was all about quantity, not quality. Yes. I think what the industry has realized is that quality matters. We will tune in, and we will totally get behind a quality project. Right. But if it's crap, we don't have time for it. Sure. You know, you have to earn my viewing time. And if you're not going to put something out there that's really high quality and I want to watch, I'll go do something else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Netflix and some of the other streaming services have realized that we can't green light everything. Let's green light the things that we know are good. Right. As much as they can. Sure.
0: And, you know, and having said that, I mean, there's a lot out there that is good, too. A lot of foreign stuff. Yeah. I mean, watching some Israeli shows and some Turkish shows that have
1: been amazing. And that's kind of a cool thing, too. It's almost like the renaissance of our film and television industry is that it's now bringing together what used to be artisans from one or two different regions to now artisans in hundreds of regions, yeah. and then we cross-pollinate, and I'll go to London and work with somebody on a project, and I'll learn some tricks from this guy that I'd never heard of before, and he'll learn some things from me. So it's going to kind of like be the genesis of additional things on down the road, which will, I think, take us to a newer, higher level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. I, could, I could be wrong, but let's hope it's good. No, yeah, I, I
0: mean, I'm, I'm always trying to remain optimistic and hopeful i mean i do think that it is an industry that is not going to go away anytime soon i don't think ai is going to take it over the whole
1: industry um so, when I first got in the business, people were telling me that the independents are going to ruin the industry right. because it's no longer in the major studios' hands, and these independents don't know what they're going to do. I had other people tell me, "Oh, a prop house. Two years from now, a prop house is going to be on a four CD set, and you won't have to rent anything because it'll all be CGI and blue screen." Right? Right? It couldn't be further from the truth. Right. As technology evolves, we're doing projects that would not have been able to have been produced two years before because the technology wasn't up to speed to do it right
0: well as evidenced by the move that sat just took right so i mean i visited the facilities and you guys expanded a lot out there right
1: yeah and that's partially because in 2022 we had to turn a bunch of projects down because we didn't have the size or the bandwidth to be able to accommodate it. Correct. Um, so this new facility, I, I, I tell people if you've been the old SAT, it's like going to Kitty Hawk for the first flight. Um, if you go to the new SAT, it's like walking into SpaceX. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. exactly what I th- Well,
1: I,
2: th- I think it's because what is it? A lot of the newer shows and the bigger budget shows everybody's coming to you. All the Marvel stuff. God, let's the, hope so. <laughs> no, they were. I mean, that would be the problem because when I would go, I would go to you with my not Marvel show or whatever, and it would be like, oh, I need this built. Like the turnaround time would be crazy because Black Panther is just flooding you guys out. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: And that was a problem. We have something that's in the queue that's been in the queue for 12, 14, 16 weeks of prep. Right. And then a TV guy comes in on Wednesday. He went to a production meeting and now he needs this thing on Thursday. Right. Yeah. So it was tough. So what we've done is we expanded SAT and moved them down the road, but we've also expanded the ISS manufacturing capabilities. So when somebody needs something in six hours, eight hours, we can accommodate that as well. So we we all know know, our business is the yes business. So we're trying to even design the, the new part of what we do into always having to say yes even when no it might be the right answer. Right, right.
0: <laughs> well, and I also have to say that, you know, make this distinction too, that uh, SAT, ISS are union houses. Yeah, they are. Okay,
1: and you've had problems with having to compete with non-union manufacturing. Uh, yeah, we, to this day. I'm in, involved in a union negotiation right now, and uh, it's difficult. It's uh, You want to stay competitive because right. 95% of all of our competitors aren't just non-union, but now some of them are in other countries. So you're battling even currency exchanges. Oh, right? yeah. You're dealing with things that you can't necessarily affect. So where we've stayed ahead of people is try to be the innovators, right. have the best, the coolest, the, the whatever, um, to stay ahead of the curve. Because right. if you just, well, that's the way we do it, because that's the way we've always done it. If that's the case, you're going to get consumed by somebody in 100%. a moment. We've, we're actually losing jobs now sometimes to China. Because wow. labor there is pennies on the dollar by comparison, right. and what used to take six months to turn around, they can do in four days. Wow. Well, the, the cool thing is, and ideally, you know, we're going to be in all these different areas. So we're going to be able to utilize different artisans and different technologies from different areas where it makes sense. Right. I mean, in theory, when we have a project that is so ambitious, and we have design time that's going to take three weeks, but we've only got two weeks to do it. I may at a certain point have an operation in India while we're sleeping, they're designing stuff, outputting it the machines in Los Angeles right. that are then printing it out. So when we say global, I mean truly global to where right. we have entities in all these different areas and it's being orchestrated by one person. Louis Doty in this case is right. our studio art and technology guru and he can coordinate and gaff all of that. That's That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the crazy thing is one of the positives that came out of COVID is that we got used to dealing with art departments from all over the world via Zoom. Right. We we didn't have to come into our operation. We didn't have to go there. We could connect on a a good Wi-Fi system, and we're all talking in the same room at the same time, not in the same room. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's like the curse and the blessing that came out of Prop Masters and production meetings, because I feel like we have to be a part of a lot more meetings now.
0: Well, it's true, but at the same time, as much as I... Despise being in a Zoom meeting because there's not that connection, it makes it a lot easier. It does when, make when it I a lot don't easier. have to like stop what I'm doing in the middle of the day and go back to the production office and sit in a meeting. Yeah. Or I could do it if I had to from my car on my phone
1: or from wherever yeah. or in my office while I'm doing something else as well. I'm able to now conduct business from my mammoth office.
3: There you go. <laughs> and they don't necessarily
1: know that I'm in the mammoth office because right. I can blur the background. That's... My my granddaughter showed me how to do that. <laughs> Sister. And yep. she's ten. Yeah.
2: <laughs> My last show, the the production offices were in Culver City, but our stages were in North Hollywood, which made no sense at all. Right. And they were like, "Oh yeah, we got an office for you here at the office." I was like, "Give it away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. not gonna be there." Yeah. So it's just, I mean, in situations like that, it would be a nightmare to have to go to meetings back at the offices every day. But to I, come s- back to I still, I still
1: appreciate this. Boots on the ground, face to face communication. It's still the best thing. But we do have things that can get us in between. Well, exactly. So both are both are good, right? You know, we don't have to give up one for the other. Yeah, and and because we're in so many different places, I don't want to be on a plane going to Budapest every couple of weeks. No, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, an eight a.m. meeting with them. It's it's five p.m. their time, and it's perfect. Yeah. No.
0: absolutely I, I hear that from a lot of prop masters yeah you know that they're able to do that which only helps
1: until they get this particle beam technology down uh that's being on a plane for... being on a plane for 12 or 13 if we could turn some of the props that we've done over the years in the real actual technology that would be very beneficial i mean that's how most Portals, technology
2: baby. ends up being developed right they yeah. take it from james bond movies that's right <laughs> exactly
1: life imitating art <laughs> yeah Right. Yeah, but it's fine. Let's be honest. We're we're those guys that get to do something that we love doing every day, uh, and somebody's willing to pay us for it. Yeah, you know, it's cliche, but when you don't feel like you're ever working, you don't have to work a day in your life. I'm that guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When you so your dad. Was a prop? Was your grandfather a prop master? Too? No, we just,
1: I'm second generation. I have three sons that are third generation, right. and then the fourth generation. Is, or I have two granddaughters now, and we're convinced they'll be producers or above the line. Yeah, <laughs> Let's hope so
2: you can keep asking, telling yourself, <laughs> right. hopefully. Uh, so then, what? What? Like, did you always want to get into props? Then,
1: you, you know, it was kind of cool. I first kind of got introduced to it all when I was like 13 years old. I was my dad was an assistant with a guy named Pat O'Connor, who's a legend, on Bad News Bears. Oh, awesome. The original. The original Bad News Bears. With Walter Matthau. With Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill, and all of that. So, I mean, I was 12, 13 years old running around. I, I thought this whole thing was pretty cool. My biggest takeaway, I couldn't believe how cool it was to go onto the Prop Master's truck, and it had a cooler there with all the little apple juices and all the cool things. <laughs> and you could just grab whatever you wanted. Right. I think I I drank so many apple juices that first day I was there, I, I had the squirts for like two weeks. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's funny. But I just... That was my first environment uh, on a film set, and it, it definitely was... It was cool. There was a wow factor there. Yeah. It's like, these guys look like they're playing, and people are paying them to do this.
0: Right, exactly. That's funny. Um, And so...
1: Your dad, uh, what, what
0: were some of the shows he did?
1: Oh, he was, you know, he did everything from the Bad News Bears to uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn to um, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy to Short Circuit. Um, nice. What was the one with... Uh, oh, it, was, it was the first, like, really big film. John Badham directed it. It was about the computer taking over Oh. Matthew Broderick. Oh, War Games. War Games. Yeah, he yeah. did War Games. Wow. And, and that was like one of the first really big shows right. with all this military. And yeah. it, it was just, it was fun seeing all that. Kind and of, so you tagged along on some of that stuff? On some you? of those, yeah. Um, and then, what was it? God, I was a PA, I think, when I first started, like 18, 19 years old. Uh, I think everybody that gets in the business should be a PA for at least a year. Because they see every craft from the bottom up, and you're just used and abused. It's kind of like a vetting process. If you survive it, then you were meant for this business. Yeah. And I survived it. Yeah. And then I jumped onto a show, and the rest is kind of history. I just, I loved it. Did you assist for your dad then, or? I assisted, no, I was a PA for him, uh, with him on a show, uh, my dad, funny enough, is the only person who ever fired me. <laughs> <It's> the <laughs> only funny. the only time I've been fired. And any a person out there that's a father and has sons or mm-hmm. siblings, um, it was a difficult relationship. And yeah. uh, I was probably um, popping off and saying stuff I shouldn't have said, and he fired me. Um, but I had already committed to being a PA on this thing called American Flyers, oh, wow. a, a oh. cycling movie. Yeah. Um, and I did this film as a PA with him. Then I came back, and uh, I just started jumping into being the PA on other things. Right. And then back then, getting the union was very difficult. So I was on a non-union show with a prop master named Nino Candido. If anybody knows Nino, <laughs> he was a freaking character. What a name. What a name, yeah. Um, and I got a call to come in on a show with Wally Wall um, as a permit. And wow. uh, I started doing that. Amos was it with... Uh, Um, Kirk Douglas, uh, Elizabeth Montgomery, uh, Burgess Meredith. uh, And I got all my days in there, and then I just started propping with people. Wow. Yeah. It's just all sorts of different shows.
0: And that's how you got in the union? That's how I got in the union. Wow. And you got in as a proper... Did they have a classification as property master at that point?
1: I was an assistant property master. Assistant property master. So back then, the old days, you had to get in 2,500 hours. You had to take a test. You have to interview with a panel of other property masters to even get your card. Right. The
2: twenty-five hundred hours is still a thing to go from assist to prop master in forty four anyway. Correct. I had to get the twenty five hundred hours, but I, I kinda w I, I would still appreciate a test almost. Like I feel yeah, like I, it's like getting past something or you know what I mean to get something in. I, I like did. I wouldn't have minded a test. Yes,
1: Fifty-two still does that, right? I believe they do. Um, they've had a lot of changes with letting more people in because the diversity issues another thing is it was a very controlled, one of the more controlled unions probably. Right. out there. But I had to read a script. I had to break it down. I had yeah. to turn all of that in. It wasn't just, here's my money. Give me my sweatshirt. Yeah, bye-bye. I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm into that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I didn't have to either, but uh, I think that that's very useful. Well, quality
1: <laughs> quality matters. I mean, we all know our industry. There's not a course you take at a, a university. There's not a, a course you take at any classroom. It is life skills and it's baptism by fire.
0: Right. Right. <laughs>
1: You yes. know, you're thrown into the mix and you read a script and you're like, oh my God, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Right. Um, well, that's what
2: always the first read-feel feels like. <laughs> I feel like every single script I ever read, the first read-through is always like, ah, oh, this is impossible. <laughs> 100%. And then the second time you're like, okay, I could do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that is so cool. That it I, I, it's
1: good to hear that that's somebody else's evolution because I'll read a script the first time. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in over my depth. I can't yeah. do this. And then two or three of the things, it's like you wake up the next morning, hey, I came up with an idea. Yeah, I think yeah, I right? can figure this. Exactly. And then eventually the six problems you had are down to three. Yeah. And then the director and somebody else helps you with the other ones. It's really a cool, fun collaboration. No, it yeah, is. Yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> and it, you know, because again, it is. It's culture shock. The, fir- yeah. or the first time you read a, scr- a giant script as you know you've been with me when I read Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> and when I read Babylon I was like oh my god this is insane right and I talked to we talked to Gay Perello about that and I asked her what her process about that was and she's like I had no crew on the first week <laughs> that I started because I just needed to be in a room with a bunch of um, legal pads and just start breaking things down into sections you know so you could manage your your brain because right. if you try to hold that whole script in your head it's just impossible. So and and it is. It it that's to me one of the the joys of doing this job is to see something is is epic as the script and then start to break it down into small pieces in
1: something manageable to do. How I meet even some of our clients that uh, aren't in the state, aren't in the country, I'll see a project, and I'll be so impressed with the job that's done. Right. I get their contact, and I reach out to them. I'm like, wow, I have to bow down. I have to compliment right. you on the job you've done, because um, I've never seen anything done quite like this or this well. And right. And that's not me just pandering to get another you know, sure. client. know, yeah. client. It's like, I'm a fan. Yeah. When it's yeah. done really well... This is a collaborative art form that lives on forever. Um, There are very few things that you can say that of. Yeah. And then if it's done extremely well, it not only lives on forever, but you may get a, well, we don't. But we may eventually get an Oscar, a Globe, or an Emmy for the job that was done in having several hundred people have their DNA all over that project. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. That's like the whole ball of wax is yeah. that whole collaboration yeah and when i go to nothing sh- like it i go to a show now and i see uh trailers for projects i honestly get like irritated if there's a, a trailer that comes up for a project that we weren't somehow involved in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> who did of- that show why wasn't it us I know, that's <laughs> so
0: funny because i do the same thing it's like when you see something like that's amazing like i just we just saw poor things okay if you haven't seen it i hear I it's mean, amazing we talk yeah. about it you have to see it it's Got fabulous it. You look at that and you think, the first thing I do is look up who did that show. Yeah. Right? It's like they did an amazing job. Because it is very much like the first time you read a script when you watch a movie. You think, oh, my God, how they do all that? Right. It's like they did the same way we do it when we do it. You know, they broke it all down as well. But to see it done and know that, you know, you know
1: what they went through to get there. You you do. But that being said, you could give 10 different prop masters the same job and the same script. And it would be done 10 different ways. Right. Oh, de- guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you both have worked with other people. So you also <laughs> see how other people approach the same job. Right. And you've probably learned some things from them. I really like the way they did this. And sure. then other things you learn, oh, I'll never do it that way. Right. Um, but each project and each person you work with, you, you learn something new. Right. And what you don't know is what the, what the story
0: was behind what it took to get there too because like I've noticed this as well where like uh, especially in television if I somebody else does a season of something and then I come in and I take over the show for whatever reason they moved on or or whatever the case may be I'll look at the show and I'll think they did it fine job. Right. You know, this looks great. Why, you know, why are we making a change here? And it always comes down to personality.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's like somebody didn't get along, you know, with somebody somewhere, and that's why it didn't happen. Well, you've been on a film set, and Tensions can be pretty intense. Yes, um, you have to be very observant to be able to read a room. You know when to step into a situation right. and when to get the hell out of the room. Mm-hmm. Some people don't get that, mm-hmm. and they step into a situation at exactly the wrong time. Right, they get their head bitten off. Yes, and then you get the call to take over the show. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, that you know, and that's one of those things. You know, we're looking from the perspective of the PMG in training people. I've put a lot of thought to this. Like, that's kind of thing that you, it's hard to teach somebody that. Right. Okay. You know, and we're going to actually, the next class that we're going to do is going to be that the art of of observation. <laughs> yeah. You know, how to get approvals. Right. Oh, See, yeah. so, you know, it's going to be um, Nicole, Ruby, and myself are going to do it with approvals and show and tells. You know, get, getting past all of that, you know, getting everything from the page
1: into reality and then getting it all approved. And, it, you know. and that even that process is vastly different because some people, you give too many choices, they're overwhelmed. No. 100%. You don't is give them so many, enough choices. One of
2: the first prop masters I worked with uh, taught me that one thing. They're like, well, there's three choices you always got to give. You got to give the one that you know they're going to hate. Right. But that makes the one that you like look right. way better. But even
1: that's an yeah. art form is how it to is. present that. <laughs> yes, Or if you know they don't have the budget for X, Y, and Z, you give them the one that's awful, and then you give them the oh, one yeah. that's cost effective. And oh, totally. give it the like the hand gesture. Or whatever. <laughs> the <Caromero. laughs> yeah. And then some other producers, frankly, they're all about the talent and the dialogue and the acting, and the props are really kind of irrelevant. Yes. And it just needs to all be organic. Clint Eastwood had a great story with a prop master, Mike Sexton. It was basically um, Mike was asking about some stuff. He said, listen, Mike, if there's something specific I want, I'll let you know. But right. if the script says I want a coffee cup, just make sure there's a coffee cup there. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> I don't well. really care if it's blue or if it's brown right. or if it's pink. Right. Just have give me a coffee yeah. cup. You know, That's
0: interesting. I've been dealing I've been pondering that whole notion lately because we've had um we've had a couple of people on who talk about that like uh with Spielberg and the the Fablemans. Right. You know, and and we talk about how he didn't have much time with him and he didn't have much input with him. And then the same thing with Matt and um, Scorsese. Okay, and and it's just like, and and the notion is is that they hired you because they believe in you,
1: they trust that you're going to do it. And they trust that you're going to do it.
0: But then there is this level of, and I go through this with my wife all the time where I'll like point out something on the film and I'll be like, ah, you know, like ice. You know, we always talk about that. There's f- the fucking ice is at the bottom of the glass. And it's not moving. I hate that. She's the only one who sees it. And it's like, but then I have to ask myself, am I the only one who sees it? And does it really matter? I'm, sure, then,
2: I'm sure there's a subreddit for it somewhere.
0: <laughs> I, well, yeah, sure. There's uh, IMDB Gaff squ- Goof Squad where they'll, yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll nail you for stuff. And,
1: and that's the unfortunate thing. If we do our job exactly right, it's not necessarily noticed because it's all organic. It fits. It's supposed to be this way. The only time, unfortunately, sometimes we get notoriety is when something is completely wrong. That's right. And it's a massive mistake, and it makes us all look bad.
0: Right, and I think that there's also a middle ground in there, and I may have touched on this before, so if I'm repeating myself, forgive me, But but I do believe that there is a subconsciousness if something's wrong. You might not subconsciously say, oh, that's wrong. But subconsciously, you, you think it's wrong, and it takes you out of the story just a little bit.
1: It, it does. But we've also been on film sets to where a DP is shooting everything tight, and we're dressing the entire environment. And we realize that the environment that we're dressing that's not being caught on camera is to get everybody else in the vibe and the mood. Right. So that's part of it, even though it didn't necessarily end up on camera, Right. you know you set the whole tone for that. For real. And we've also worked with actors and actresses that are very method, and they can't do their job unless they have actual legal paperwork.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, and that's part of their process, yes. so you have to respect that as well.
0: Yeah, and that's a very good distinction, because that is absolutely true, and you may never see that on camera. But if it does help
1: support the actor in their performance, then you are doing your job. I had an actress one time have to have legal paperwork inside of her briefcase as she walked down a hallway, even though the briefcase never opened up. It made her feel in character. Absolutely. So who am I to say that that's not right? That's her process. Yes.
0: And I've also been in the situation where I presented that to an actor, something that you would never see. and. They do appreciate it. Yeah, it, it helps them out a lot.
1: Yeah, it's it's so. good. When we do our jobs really well, we enhance their performance and sometimes even make it better. Yes. When if we do it badly, it can literally ruin a scene. Oh yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, well. hey, it's once again. It's there's we could speak for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, Like you said, this is episode (laughs) Um, 9,247. It's kind of great, but you get a bunch of old prop folks together in the same room. They've all got crazy cool stories. They've all had crazy cool experiences. And some of us have been lucky enough to have spanned that over a group of decades. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you see,
0: I mean, I know that um, you've sold the company. Yes. But you're still involved. So what's your involvement now?
1: Uh, it's virtually the same. You know, I'm still president of all the operations. Mm-hmm. I oversee everything. Uh, MBS lets me run things the way I would normally run them. I can't tell you how many times they've said, uh, "Run it like you still own it," and, right. and I and I have. And that's been difficult with the downtime because sure. you know we've we've been bleeding uh, pretty badly. Um, but it, it's the same. I'm I still control everything the way it would be if it was mine. I just now I know I have the full backing of a right. much larger entity so I can leverage their relationships and studio relationships. And I'm in meetings and conversations and in rooms I never got an invite to before. So there's sometimes I'm sitting in a room with all these... Powerful executives and millionaires and billionaires. I'm like, I think somebody messed up. I, I got an invite to this. And I don't, I don't know that I belong in this room. <laughs> They're just
2: the guy showing up in That's... cargo shorts. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: exactly. It is, it is still funny to this day when I meet with some of these people. I, I think you know me. I, I rarely wear pants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not naked, but I do have shorts on. Right. Um, and whether it's winter or whatever, I just wear shorts all the time. So when I show up in a meeting, I'm wearing pants. Everybody thinks, oh, Greg must have got called to the principal's office. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) or or he's somehow in trouble. But it's great because I can meet with the Steven Spielberg and and Clint Eastwood or or the people that own our company, and I'm dealing with them as equals. Um, The other cool thing is, even though these are giant companies, multi-billion dollar organizations, I got to tell you, everybody that comes through ISS, SAT, and Graphics to do the tour, not one time has anybody said, is that all you got? They're blown away. Of course. It's kind of showing them behind the the curtain. Right. It's like this is where it's cliche, but this is where the magic happens. Yeah. This is people don't realize that these areas exist. And we create everything. Like when you step on a film set, one day, two days before that, it didn't exist. Right. You're creating this entire environment and companies like ours and History for Hire and Hand Prop Room and Premiere Props and all these other places around the world, they contribute to making this environment right. from nothing. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I love because when family comes out to visit and you want to bring them somewhere, right. ISS is always such a Premiere, awesome place to yeah. be able to do it because one, you You don't have to, like, try to sneak them on a lot or anything like that. And you can, like, actually show them all these really cool things. Just It's displayed really well to tour around and be able to show people. Yeah,
1: I I will say during this strike... Um, our people, our staff, our companies, they have grown, built, modified, expanded. Yeah, it looks like a,
2: my wife just went there, and she came back. She's like, I, I like need a new map for ISS now. And she's been yeah. there hundreds of times. Right. She's like, I don't know where anything is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I,
1: I had to say the same thing because I was gone for four and a half, five months, and when I came back, I was like, oh, my God, you guys were really busy. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's it's been great, and and you know it's going to continue expanding and evolving. Yeah.
0: So what are your what are your visions for the company before you actually put Retire. your
1: hat up? <laughs> before I like hang it up, hang it up. I want to make sure that uh, all the companies everywhere are populated with people like me, right. uh, like Rick Caporelli. Right. For those of you that don't know Rick Caporelli, Rick is uh, my partner in yeah. life and in crime and in business. We've been together thirty years. Um, we just get along like an old married couple and squawk at each other, but you know it, his his strengths are my weaknesses, my right. weaknesses are his strengths, so we 've just built these companies together um, and we just go where it makes sense uh, yeah. and a lot of our children <laughs> are now involved with the companies right. and uh, a lot of really good young people and they 'll take it i fully expect to levels that I will be blown away with ten years. From now when i'm the old retired guy that comes through for that iss tour yeah (laughs) Um, i look forward to what this becomes on down the road yeah because everybody that we have at iss sat and graphics um for the most part they're like us and so when we leave whenever you lose anybody it gives the people below us an opportunity to step into those shoes and put their dna on it and put their thought on it. So it's going to be kind of exciting.
0: Yeah. And also ISS is a really good launching place for people who want to become property masters because there have been several salespeople at
1: ISS who have then moved into production. Absolutely. We've populated uh, the entire uh, industry with uh, prop assistants, property masters. Yeah. You know, you got uh, Lenny Hancock, Greg Gonzalez, um, Oh God, I'm forgetting people, but there's a whole bunch of people out there that at one point, and it's not just ISS. Before there was an ISS in any large capacity, a lot of people used to work at Ellis Mercantile or hand prop room uh, or history for hire. So a prop house is a great place to kind of get your feet wet, see what you like, what you don't like. And then when you do decide to go out there and do it, you also have a really good black book with a lot of good contacts, and they've already seen the way you work. Right. So the likelihood of getting hired is much greater. Yeah. Yeah. Our business is very much about who you know. Right.
0: Yeah. I remember. It's just so, I get nostalgic about ISS and I think about the people that are, are no longer there, like Linda Montana. Oh. <laughs> And oh, like
1: she Duda, was, that was my Lee first Dennis. salesperson yeah. Dennis, right? I, I think and Cheryl Pendergras? oh my god, Cheryl Pendergrass <laughs> Eric, Eric Smith, Gary Tours at one point was one of the managers there there's so many different people that have been in that seat but once again, when I was early on in the companies, I had no managerial background, no specific business background, I don't right. recommend this for other people yeah. sure. a better education goes a long way um, but I would be working with these people and somebody would decide to go out. And the first time that happened, I was freaked out. I'm right. like, we can't possibly run these companies without this person. Right. And then what I found out is, you know what? This new person's coming in with a new lifeblood, right. some different vision, and this passion that actually took us to the next level. Right. So almost every situation when we lost somebody. Um, the new person would come in, and we would go up the ladder a little bit. And and now I embrace it. It's like, yeah, it's a bummer. I'm glad you're going out there. Good luck to you. I hope you succeed. And, And next man or next woman up. Right. And it's really that kind of industry. Yeah. Like, if something happened to you on a film set, no offense to you, but... That show's not going to stop. No, that's right. true. <laughs> it's going to keep going, yeah. and ISS is going to keep going. I could drop dead tomorrow, and somebody's going to be in my seat within a week or two. Right. Yeah, that's just the reality of life. Yeah. yeah. So let's right. see who's who's going to bring it. And you wow. have
0: a good system set up for people who come in, you know, with no experience, come in at the at, in returns. Yeah, mostly, and then you can vet people that way, see where people have talent, and then they can move. Into other areas from there. I've seen Absolutely. it happen, and it's, it's, it's my, great.
1: My, my nephew came to me uh, right before the holidays and uh, wasn't sure if he wanted to come back after the strike. And I said, listen, if your goal is to get out on a film set and become an assistant or a, a property master, give me three, four years, get in the apprentice program, get in the union, learn from the ground up. Right. And when you decide to go out three, four, five years from now, you'll kill it. Yeah. And he's going to. 100%. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I was just talking to somebody who was a salesperson at ISS and then they went into uh, production and their and their take on it was hey when I was at ISS I was managing eight 10 shows at a time now I only have to do one yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know in, in that sense it's much simpler because you can totally sink your teeth right. into that one project yeah and I have to tell you right now some of our salespeople juggle 30 40 50 shows right so, so they're really good at it yeah
2: yeah I mean my salesperson, is about to just become my new
1: prop assist, also. So, <laughs> oh, nice. as we speak, now, now who did you get? I don't even know.
2: What a Matt, Matt, oh, fantastic, Matt. Yeah. I love, and I mean, it's which is unfortunate. It's great and unfortunate because I loved him to death, and I can't possibly imagine a different salesperson. But I'll find them. But Matt was like, he's always so good, and is I mean, he was right. always there for me. So it's like. Man, I'm kind of excited to have, try them out on set and use them on set yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the, the, the people that end up staying at ISS more long term, we know that the set life isn't for everybody. Yeah. 60, 70, 80 hours of work is tough. Right. And the younger generation has a much better sense of a work-life balance. Right. A, a set life isn't a work-life balance. No. It's all or nothing. At ISS, it's you know, 40, 45 hours a week, you show up the same place, the same hours, you get weekends off, there's no fratter days, right. all That's those true. things don't really take place. So we'll have to see how these young people do, the you know, yeah. people that leave ISS. But I'm very proud to say that virtually everybody that left ISS from, you know, ISSU, as we like to call it, to go to the outside, virtually nobody has not succeeded. No, nice. you,
2: guys, you guys have a lot of uh, really big prop masters that came out of working from ISS. Originally, yeah. So
1: so it's a different way of looking at things. Yeah. I also used to be upset when somebody would leave. Now I look like this person just graduated from ISSU. They're going to end up being one of our better clients a couple of years down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> J- fair. Jason Moore's last day was today. And one of the last things he said as he went is like, I'm going to be one of your best customers. Yeah. yeah. Of course. And that's fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're growing our own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see that. That's fantastic. Well... What more can be talked about? What more? I mean, there's
2: a lot that can be talked <laughs>
0: about. I know, right? Like, I told Mike before we got here, I could talk to you for hours, but...
2: We haven't even gotten to Doogie Howser. Oh, <laughs> <I> my <laughs> God.
1: I know. I, I actually thought for a brief moment when they were looking for a property master for the redo in Hawaii, how cool would that be? They're cause... doing a redo of Doogie well, Howser? They're already on season two or season three. Really? Yeah, in, in Hawaii. Is it Doogie? It's it's, called... it's Doogie Hauser MD, in Hawaii. It's, oh, there's no. a slightly different name for so it. So
2: it's a complete remake, to, like... 100%. Said. yeah it's
1: just in hawaii you know? who's prop
2: mastering that <laughs> it, it's
1: uh, it's one of the i believe it's one of the cabrina uh kids over there uh, uh alvin cabrina is this property master that has been in hawaii his whole life he's oh like, cool he's about you know I, i'm joking but he's probably like close to 75 or 80 years old oh, yeah. you yeah. Know, but he's been doing it forever and he's for the last 20 years i heard he's going to retire it every time i hear he's still doing it <laughs> yeah but he's also got kids that are now in the business and right. now this kid is taking over Wow. it's part of the normal evolution yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah well yeah but
2: you you didn't want to revive doogie hauser and try to No,
1: (laughs) if you got asked to do that would you have gone out? you know it's people ask me all the time i adored being at iss yeah but i also like going out and jumping in with my friends on shows i was just asked to be on a show for two days last week for next week with chris uh peck on a thing with uh oh, what is it? A couple of big actors. And uh, I had to pass because we're right in the middle of a union negotiation. Mm. But I've been out with Drew Petrada. I, I go out on shows. And it's it's fun. I still like it. Yeah. Yeah. So if the ISS thing flamed out for me, and I had to get a job, I will sling chairs with anybody. I still think it's an amazing craft, a great industry. Yeah. But as
2: far as prop mastering go, would you ever prop master a show again? <laughs>
1: I, I have a little bit of a desire to do it. My youngest son uh, and my middle son want to to, to do to do shows. Yeah, uh, Ethan is out on shows now. Right. Um, I just bought somebody's prop kit, and I'll probably buy a trailer to help him get started. So I might collaborate with one of my sons someday. Nice. I yeah. did. I did get to work with my oldest son uh, on an armor capacity and on a few projects in Atlanta. And it's just a different thing when you get to work with one of your, your kids. Yeah. And I can remember on this uh, thing, we're doing all these guns on a rooftop, and we were in two different locations, zip lining across. And uh, I was, as usual, a control enthusiast, and I saw that my son was doing such a good job. I had that like, light bulb moment. I stepped back, almost like surreal, and he just started kind of taking it over and then I started getting him what he needed. Nice. Oh. <laughs> nice. And it was really kind of cool. It's like, yeah. this kid's got it. I yeah. don't need to be here. He's got this handled. And yep. I'd like to experience that with my other two sons as well. Yeah. Whether they want to experience it with me <laughs> is another story. Have all your kids worked on sets? They have. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Eric, my middle son, I don't know that he's spent much time on there. A little bit, but my oldest and my youngest definitely have. Well, you know, Ethan, you've worked with him on a show.
0: Yes, he was fantastic. We had him on, and he fit right in, and he totally has
1: what it takes. Well, that's also the cool thing is that, you know, you look after my kids. I look after your kids. my kid worked at ISS. We have so many many people that got in the business and, and get in the union and are all... You know, just relatives. The patratas, the Madisons, right. the, the parishes, you know, the calls. Your kids will be in someday, Mikey.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We're, we're going to convince them to get in the camera where we can make some <laughs> more. <laughs> energy, <right?
1: laughs> to be an elitist. You know what? Yeah. Like, I tell all my, yeah, there are better cappuccino machines on there. <laughs> yeah. <shots>. Not anymore. <laughs> no? No. We just... Put the uh, PMG. Oh yeah, did oh, you look right. yeah, yeah. I don't know then. if you've stepped into your your break room. Yet. I'm gonna have to. I'm a I'm a big fan of coffee, so I'm gonna yeah. have to get some of that. Yeah. But you know what? Hey, if our kids get into this business, I think. I've always told my kids, you guys probably feel the same way. I don't really care what you get into. Yeah, uh, Like what it is you do. Like cause what it is. Because yeah, you're you know. going to do it for a long time. Yeah, um, exactly. Let's try to make it legal. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep it legal. That, that's always a good one. Um, I did want to ask you, have you, did you ever have any desire or notion to do
1: product or to produce anything oh yeah uh, absolutely because let's be honest we've all been on shows with people that aren't the greatest of producers and we all thought we could do a yeah. <laughs> yeah we could we, we could um
2: <laughs> if, I, if i just won the lottery i'll right, do my exactly. own show and i'll show you
1: but the reality is um it's a very difficult job it's sure. very difficult to break into mm-hmm. um and I think the whole prop thing is just in my DNA. Right. Um, I don't know that I would succeed at that other level. I'm not horribly creative. I would not be a good director. Um, I'm, I'm a better finger pointer or collaborator with right. other people. Um, You like to play with the the toys too much. I do like toys. You you call them toys. I call them rentable props. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been, uh, you know, a bit of a a collector of a bunch of different things, but I've been able to monetize my issues. Yes. Uh, There's almost nothing from my house, and you probably have done the same thing as a prop master, that hasn't at some point been dragged onto a film set to be used. And my wife is like, where did this go? Well, I had to Uh, use it for... Yeah, it's coming back, I promise.
2: Well, do you get as much as where did this go as where... Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: not as much stuff comes back. Okay. <laughs> so, and we're now at the other end of our life. We're starting to purge things, and my wife yeah. is like, "Why did you buy this? We don't need any more stuff." Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. George Carlin has a great bit on stuff, and that right. pretty much pertains to property masters. Yeah. Because yeah. there's always new stuff and better stuff. Oh and yeah. More expensive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just stuff. We are the purveyors of stuff. Yes. It, For it's, sure. It's, it's a good gig. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think so. <laughs>
1: wow.
0: So there was something else I was going to ask you, I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah. the, must other, have been important. Yeah, it must have been. <laughs> the,
1: the joys of getting old. I yeah, forget. I forget a lot. <laughs> I know.
2: So are you gonna are you gonna retire then in a few years? What is, I what's am,
1: going to I have not uh, What's gonna happen? And who, who who are you squid.
2: handing it off
1: to? Is that, that is still up to debate? Oh, okay, right. Uh. You know, like
0: one of your sons is interested in the business, yes, and the, for the on the ISS front,
1: not in the capacity that I am in. Right. So my oldest son Hayden, a few years back, um, it was always he was always going to be the heir apparent. I'm from probably 12, 13 years old. People hmm. were always, "You're going to be the guy that runs ISS." So that he grew up being told right. that. So I think there was like a, an unrealistic. Yeah, that's a pressure right there. Oh my god! Yeah. I, then I look back on, it, I feel bad. I, I've always wanted my kids to do whatever they want to do. So he was probably felt like he was pigeonholed into having to do this. Right. And then at a certain point, I think he went through, you know, a divorce situation, COVID happened, and I think he came to the realization that he doesn't want to be me. He doesn't want to be the guy sitting at ISS doing all that stuff. He likes certain parts and components of it, Right, but he has other interests that he knew. So at that point I decided, you know, all right, we're going to have to get some sort of succession plan together. So I just let some, literally two people know, hey, we'd be interested in some sort of a, uh, uh, a relationship with somebody strategic or otherwise. That turned into so you wanna sell?
2: (laughs) Yeah, And I was like,
1: well, I never really thought about it, but within a few short weeks, we had four uh, very viable entities that were interested, NDAs signed, and then one person in a very short period of time went to the front of the pack closed everybody else out, right. and the thing closed in just a couple of months. Right. So, But he was always gonna be that guy. He's mm-hmm. still involved with the companies, he's right. more business development and marketing, very creative type. Right. Um, Eric works at the company in, in, in press and video and it's kind of the tech guy. Um, he actually wants to go out on set and travel once his daughter's a little bit older. Nice. And then Ethan, my son, um, was probably the most like me, just a spaz. Um, but also had the drive and the work ethic to possibly be me. But he was too young. Yeah, um, right, so right. this all just kind of happened. So sure. now he wants to prop, and uh, he says right. he wants to be a prop master. And Excellent. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Nice. So It'll be a third generation. I have a long way to go to compete with the Petratas and the Parishes. Yeah, of the world. Right. or are the Mazzolas <laughs> in New York. The Mazzolas, right? Yeah, or, the, or the Wilkinsons. Or the Wilkinsons. Or the, yeah, Barry. <laughs> There's eight of them now. <laughs> <laughs> That's, and Barry's such a cool kid. I, I met him before we even opened up in the UK. Uh, kid, he's a little bit of
2: way, retired in his 80s oh you're talking
1: about no i'm talking about uh junior oh i, oh, gotcha, say, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. I don't so, think he's heard kid in a long yeah, time and, and ben yeah
2: ben ben there's ben and then there's jamie
1: right and jamie's a new member right yes. yeah jamie's who i'm talking about jamie walkerson so i met him in london before one of the star wars like about eight or nine years ago maybe 10 years ago Right. But really cool, and it's cool to meet these dynasty families yeah. that had been abroad all these years, yeah. and you never cross
2: really... the across the lake. Yeah. yeah, it's really
1: cool, and they've been doing the business longer than we have. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. They 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 tend to tell us that they've been around longer than we have. This whole this whole <laughs> that, England. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> this whole <now>. England. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, all of England. Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, I did remember what I wanted to ask you about. Um, so, a large part of what ISS does is weapons. Yeah. And we're, you know, since the Russ incident, there's been an assault on weapons in the film industry. And I know that you're part of an organization that's working
1: on well, that yeah. as well. I, I Do you did, want to talk about that at all? I did just step down as president of the American Entertainment Armors Association. Mm-hmm. Carl Westa, the gentleman who runs our weapons department now, is. Right. And they loosely represent most of the significant armors in, in the U.S., um, and our UK branch just formed a similar group in the UK to handle both UK and European issues, mm. so all the armors on the same page. So a lot of these armors, they had their livelihood kind of pulled out from under them, right? Because of some poor decisions on a film set that One they had no set, con- right. that they had no control over, right? Um, and now we're slowly trying to build back. Um, a global standardization on how we do things with regard to film safety with regard to firearms. Um, So it's the same verbiage that's used. Everybody knows what to expect on a film set. We're working with with SAG and DGA to educate them on what is safe, what isn't safe, the questions to ask, uh, who you vet, uh, part of the affiliation with the American Entertainment Arms Association, much like the PMG. If you're a member of these groups, it, there comes with it an understanding that you have been vetted. Yeah. Uh, you know what you're doing. You're right. not going to put anybody in an unsafe environment. Um, the person that was on the rust situation, obviously there were multiple people involved that led to this accident. Of course. But if... The main person was more involved, was more educated. They would have known when to say no, when to say yes, and when to say absolutely fucking not. Right. (laughs) Uh, And that's our responsibility as an armor and sometimes the property master is that when somebody's attempting to do something that's unsafe, it's our job to say no, we have to come up with a safer way of doing it. Right. And now that being said, we have airsoft, we have rubbers, we have CGI. Right. We have a lot of options that don't require real firearms. Right. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Airsoft represents maybe 2%, 3 4% of the different variations that are out there. Right. And you sometimes have to use a real gun. Yes. Or you're, you're going to tell Quentin Tarantino... No way. ...that you're going to use some Airsoft, and the mm. AD in the background is going to go bang, bang, bang for people yeah, to react to. not going to happen. That's not going to fly. You want the visceral, real right. authenticity of a firearm. The reactions, the performances are just different, and they're better. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, the, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. we none. <laughs> and, so we're Coming back to people feeling safe through education and having safe people on films that's right. doing it the right way.
0: And I know at one point there was some legislation
1: being thrown around to prevent it. What's the status of that? Um, it has been up and down several times, mm-hmm. uh, several different incarnations. We were directly involved with a couple of the senators that were involved in writing this. The bottom line is, um, there are rules in place that already govern this, that are already sufficient. Um, what took place in a film set, uh, it, it's, I, I compare it to a, a student driver mm-hmm. getting into a car accident and killing somebody and you outlawing all cars. Right. I mean, that sounds crazy, right? It's true. But that's exactly what's taking place here. Somebody that didn't know what they were doing was put in a situation to where somebody died. Right. And we're going to just knee-jerk reaction outlaw them all. Right. Now, certain situations on certain shows don't require a real gun, but certain situations do. Right. So for the creative integrity of a particular project, don't just say no. Right. If you're not saying no for the right reasons... Know when to say yes and when to say no. It's not that complicated.
0: And understand that there are protocols that have been in place for a very long time, and if you follow them, you're not going to have any
1: incident. If one of 10 of the standard safety protocols had been followed there, nobody gets hurt. You may have scared somebody on a set when it went bang and a bullet went into the floor, but it wouldn't have gone into a person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. a very, very big difference. Very big. Um, and we're starting to get back. But right. the knee-jerk the, the reaction to weapons, because it's been so politicized, yes. is that I've had politicians, incredibly left-leaning anti-gun politicians at my facility, giving them a tour with regard to incentives and why the business is so big in California. And I explained to them, this isn't a political thing. This isn't a gun control thing. This is a First Amendment thing. We're telling stories. Right. And sometimes that story is about police officers and military, and it involves guns. Right. We're not making a political statement. This is just a prop, just like a hammer is, just like a chainsaw is. Right. If used incorrectly, they can be dangerous. Yeah. But if weapons are used correctly in the purpose of telling a story, real guns can be used safely on film sets. Every day. Yeah. It, it really isn't that complicated, yep. but people kind of get ahead of themselves and sure. make it a big political thing. Yes. And, you know, yes. if we had less cowboys and Indians, we'd have less people dying. And guns are a very complicated thing politically in this country. Right. Um, there's been, what is this, uh, January 5th, and we've already had four mass shootings at yeah, school so ridiculous. far this yeah. year. That's messed up. But right. I, I have a hard time believing that it has anything to do with the film and television industry. Yeah. yeah. No. Nope. When I was a all. kid, I ran around playing cowboys and Indians. Right. I haven't killed anybody. No. Well, not yet.
0: Right. I always tell this story about when uh, <laughs> uh, Mike... Children were small. I grew. I was in a community that was very, uh, um, how should I say, naturalistic and veg, uh, veg, uh, vegetarian. You're a hippie. And, I was a hippie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and the moms were all like totally against guns. You know, that not well, my kid's not going to play with a gun. That's just not going to happen. And. So we were off doing having adult conversation or whatever, and we turn and see that the children had taken their sandwiches and bit them into the shapes of guns. <laughs> and we're chasing each other around. It's just in. You know, blood. I
1: used to watch um, Wiley Coyote, and I yeah. have yet to drop a safe on anybody. Yeah, <laughs> an <laughs> anvil for, or an anvil yeah. or any of those things anvil. so i mean we're a product of our environment yes it is a gun culture it is the u.s but how do you do a western and not have guns yeah it just doesn't look right i it, mean it doesn't no. it, it just we have to be responsible and when somebody's concerned about safety Educate them as to why we're doing this safely and exactly. what the impact is going to be on them. You did a whole TV show on movie guns, didn't you? Uh, we did. Uh, actually, Larry Zanoff, yeah. one of our really good armors. He's and- been.
2: He's been. I think he was on episode two of this show, wasn't he? Yes, is that episode Never- two.
1: Yes. Uh, Episode two. Yeah, exactly. Here right. go. He really cringes when I introduce him as the star from <laughs> Men <laughs> at the, Arms. That TV show. But it's kind of cool, again, because they retell stories about these famous things that took place in movies. For example, uh, the Hang 'em High or whatever it was, yeah, where yeah. the guy's dangling from a noose and his buddy shoot shoots it, it right <laughs> through. Is that really possible? Yeah. Is it possible with the old technology? Is it possible with the right, new technology? Right. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. We yeah. see what really happens. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, we have some great people. And Larry is so good at what he does. He's been integral in some of the legislation, not just in California, but New Mexico and New York. Right. Works with the MPAA, works on all the legislative issues, and is also like the go-to for Local 44 on all things gun safety on film and TV sets. Right. So he's kind of like uh, Mr. Wizard. He's really just he, that yeah, knowledgeable.
0: I mean, when he was on this podcast, he was
1: invaluable. I mean, the wealth of knowledge that that man possesses in his head is incredible. Yeah, I, I got to work on an Iron Man set with him in North Carolina on a bunch of guns. Uh, and me just sitting with him in between shots, I probably learned more from him yeah. in two or three days than I've learned in 20 years of being in the business. <laughs> right,
0: yeah. <laughs> And the great thing about Larry, too, is, is that he's not just a, a, a movie guy. He
1: was in the Israeli army. You know? yeah. He knows what he's talking about. When they say the real deal, he's the real deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's He's legitimate. He has the background. So when you're talking to an actor, actress, stunt person, director, producer, they listen to him because he's completely genuine yep. and 100% legit. And if they want to learn to do it the right way, this guy is going to yeah. show them. Absolutely. And the safe way yes mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah very nice
2: well gentlemen well that was great really good yeah, that was to fun. You. yeah thanks for coming in today man. thanks for having me precious kicking us off on our, uh, our that's right our, prop house series <laughs> our, prop, uh, yeah we can't say
1: it's the new year but it's, it's the not, year. not the new year but hey just to answer your question i'm not retiring anytime soon okay so cool. r- I, I, you rumors know of great. my death have been greatly exaggerated yeah exactly
0: and i'll, I'll, I'll Believe it when I see it, yeah. that you actually retire. I like, will. I will step yeah. away, but I will
1: not step away until it's in very good hands. All right. Well, I won't until you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks to everybody out there for listening. Uh, what Chris and I was talking before the show, and we wanted to mention yes. also um, to especially the PMG members listening from uh, Chicago, uh, UK, Europe, uh, everywhere around, the, all regionally and internet, inter- regionally and nas- nationally. Right. Um, you should write us in. Um, with ideas, anything you have, like uh, we just wanted to shout it out there that we're we're here for all of you guys, and we want to make sure everybody feels supported. Right, um, we're definitely um, an international guild, and we we want to make sure everybody feels that way. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, and we we understand that you might feel a little um, isolated out there, you know, compared to Los Angeles, but it's just because we're here. Um, so we do have a lot of resources to help everybody in all the regions. We just need people in those regions to come forward and say, Hey, I got an idea. I want to yeah. do this. And we're all on board. You know, we're doing it in Vancouver. Yeah. And we're going to do it.
2: the fan expo. In yeah, Vancouver. exactly. So, um, so we're actually so, doing a convention out there, which is yeah. awesome. Perfect. And, and we're going to do stuff in New York too, coming up in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that I have planned out. So yeah, you can either email me if you have any ideas on that. Uh, what is it? At membership at, propertymasterguild.org or yeah just reach out uh, to us at info at propertymasterguild.org and, and we'll be able to jump in for you and, um, and
1: for the New York Property Masters we just signed the big lease for the big expansion in New York so ISS New York is going to be a real thing oh really so <laughs> if I haven't met you before I'm going to want to oh I mean, yeah nice. yeah
2: we're, we're about to make a boom in New York trust Fantastic. me if you haven't heard of the PMG out in New York you're about to but if you listen to this you probably have yeah <laughs> exactly 100%. yeah so um, yeah thank you for everybody who's listening, Um, if this is your first time tuning into Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild, uh, make sure that you like, subscribe, uh, do all the things wherever you're hearing this. Uh, If you want more information on the Property Masters Guild or have any questions for us here at Prop Talk, be sure to go over to propertymastersguild.org. We're also on Instagram at underscore the PMG and all of their socials. Uh, We're on YouTube now. Um, We're on video, so make sure that you... Check us out there and subscribe to us there and everything else. Yeah, you get to see, <laughs> see this Chris's face. beautiful smile. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think that's it. Until next time.